0: Hi.
1: Hey. I'm Evan. I'm Addy.
0: And you are listening to the Speaking English podcast, The Place to Be, for anyone who wants to read more books or watch more movies, but doesn't know where to start. Woohoo! (laughs) Ta-da! This is episode 168. We're reading more books today, as it is book club number 25.
1: Wow
0: ta-da uh we really decided to get like in sounds of me it is, yeah it, it really is we we will do this three more times and then we'll do a hundred books
1: <laughs> yay uh
0: so joining us as ever for our book clubs is aubrey welcome
1: hello how's
0: it going
2: i'm doing well happy to be back at book club <laughs> yay
0: incredible Uh, So this time around, we read I Who Have Never Known Men by Jacqueline Harpman, Uh, but we'll talk about that in just a second. And uh, we wanted to get one good book club in before I leave for Foreign Soil, which will be happening soon. But uh, talk about that in a second. How has your week been, Addie?
1: Um. Not much has changed for me since we last spoke <laughs> like four days ago, but it's been nice. It's been pretty pleasant. I feel like I've been fairly productive. I've been teaching my mindfulness class, which has been very, very fun. Um, I love doing that. So, yeah, I've been having a nice uh, kind of just easygoing week, I guess. Awesome. Yeah. How's yours?
0: Or should Aubrey go first? Aubrey, you go first.
2: <laughs> <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> How's um, it been? You know, it's just life in corporate America, basically, is is how it's been. Mm. Um I did I did face like a nightmare scenario at work though, because I was in a meeting listening to other people talk about what they'd been working on. And then my boss sent me a Slack message and went, Can you do a presentation in this meeting? And I went, like <laughs> now today yeah like right now and I oh my god I "I didn't know if my presentation was very good (laughs) it was was a lot of me talking and saying um (laughs) it was like this recurring nightmare that I had when I was in school where I would show up to a class and then we'd be taking a test and I hadn't studied for the test yeah like that feeling again Uh... (laughs) but I made it through
1: okay good America's that is so crazy to be put on the spot like that
2: yeah and it was in front of I think 40 people and they're all more senior than me what so I'm the intern at a company and it was a bunch of tech people who like probably have on average like five years of experience and I was like that's yeah, fine
1: that's okay <laughs> oh my god props to you I think I would have said no Genuinely, I think if my boss had been like, can you present right now? I would have just been like, no, I cannot.
2: Okay, well, he sent me three messages in a row. And then I was like, I guess I, I, guess I have to after that. Good for like, you. Like, am I going to say? No, we're brave. Anyways, that was, you know, I love corporate America. It's fine. Everything's fine.
0: That sounds like me uh, on the podcast every week, though. About- yeah. Not really knowing what to say. and kind of just making stuff
1: wrong. I'm like, can you present right now? You guys don't know, but I'm sending Evan messages in the Zoom. Like, hey, can you pre- can you talk on this right now? Talk about
2: this thing right now, please. Yeah. Find a way to combine this thing in. We need slides as well. PowerPoint slides.
0: Exactly. Yeah, it's, I've had a very busy week. I was in Los Angeles all day yesterday. The the Big Apple, as some call it. (laughs) Okay. But uh, I actually have my visa now, which was the thing that has plagued me for the last like four months.
1: Yeah, thank God. I'm really glad. The
0: the amount of like time and money and stress that went into getting this stupid piece of paper. is out of control, but it's finally over. Uh, and now I can prepare to make my grand departure, Yay. which will take place in like three days, four days. So crazy. Kind of crazy.
1: yeah. The next time we talk, you'll be in Spain.
0: Yeah. Wild. That is so crazy. Um, so yeah, that's, I mean, I don't know. I've, I've been very busy just doing various stuff, I bought like some, those like vacuum seal packets to put in my suitcase where you put all the clothes and then you just kind of condensed. So that's been fun. Uh, I just, I have just returned from power hour at the local bar, uh, which is like happy hour, but even crazier. Uh, But it's something that we found out, me and my friends, uh, only recently in the past few weeks, that uh, actually on Thursdays from 6 to 7 at a local place, they have Power Hour, which is like $1 uh, draft beers. So it's been quite the hit.
1: Yeah, dangerous.
0: Dangerous or... Fun or cost efficient?
3: (laughs) A little bit of both, I think.
0: (laughs) Um, Yeah, so it's. I mean, uh, this place is super cool, and I feel bad that me and me and the buddies haven't really gone as much as we should have until recently. So, a a little bit of regrets before I leave the country. (laughs)
1: Hopefully, I'll still be there when you get back.
0: Maybe so. <laughs> if I ever come back. <laughs> I I genuinely may not live in this country full time again.
1: That is so crazy to think.
0: But uh, yeah, I mean, we'll just see what, what the future brings. But uh, yeah, I'll be gone soon, soon enough.
2: Congratulations.
0: And uh, that's part of the reason why I wanted to do this, because I wanted to be I wanted to be rid of this book okay. before I leave. Although I will say this should be a, probably a good one to reread. I read most yeah. of it yesterday in my travels. Nice in the Big Apple.
1: It would be a really like easy and fun reread, I think.
0: Mm. But uh, yeah, so let's get into it. Okay. Uh, there wasn't. There was not any uh, new mailbox entries. For this week to talk Darn. about, but uh, I had something that I thought about for the mailbox, so I might just bring it up since since we're all here, anyways.
3: Okay. Um,
0: and it's kind of related to a friend of the podcast, Ryan Gosling. <laughs> uh, well, just because I was talking to people about him, as I tend to do, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, just kind of in the wake of like th- this Barbie movie coming out, and just kind of average general consensuses and mm-hmm. i thought it was very interesting because i feel like he is pretty unique in that he's kind of had sections of of like wide mainstream appeal in various different demographics across his career Mm -hmm. to a point where it's like, I don't know if I've really seen this. Cause the first I've heard of this character was when I was smaller and he was kind of known as like this heartthrob ladies, man type of guy from like the notebook notebook. and stuff like that.
1: Yeah. That was the first thing I'd seen him in.
0: Yeah. And it, and it it feel like he was kind of like this, this ladies man kind of guy for a while. Mm -hmm. And then I became a fan in like 2016 around Uh, With like La La Land and The Nice Guys, and that's when I watched Drive, uh, even though it came out before, and Mm -hmm. so that's kind of when I started. I became a fan, I guess, and there was kind of like this other appeal, and then he fairly recently become a meme, as far as like these loner characters that he played from like uh, Blade Runner and Drive. And mm-hmm. kind of this other persona of like edgy teenage boys who are like, uh, Ryan Gosling is literally me. <laughs> and this new step with the Barbie movie is thought, is like a whole other like thing, zone of appeal. And I just thought that was interesting looking through and being like, this man really has had quite the uh, different perception across his career, but like constantly kind of just well-regarded. And I just oh, thought that was interesting. And I and I was kind of maybe wondering, thinking if there's um, any actors any, mm. that you guys can think of that, that kind of maybe followed a similar thing of like having various different demographic appeals at the different points.
1: Mm. Well, I also want to say I didn't know until very recently that Ryan Gosling has been famous like forever. Like he was like a child actor, too. And I just like didn't know that because I've never really like looked into his background but mm-hmm. I saw a lot of people who are angry about the Barbie movie a lot of dudes <laughs> a lot of men getting yeah. mad about the barbie specifically typically being like i feel like oh. such a weird choice for ryan gosling or like such a failure for gosling to come up to like do blade runner and then do this bullshit and it's like okay first of all he's in a lot of things <laughs> besides blade runner
0: that's such a bizarre take it's also. so bizarre
1: but it, like, a lot of you know like masculine men barbie hater types like, love things like Blade Runner, you know? So then it's like, yeah. (laughs) But then I saw a lot of people being like, it's hilarious to say that Ryan Gosling was not made for the role of Ken when you, like, look at this footage of him in his youth. Like, he's kind of always been, like, goofy on TV and, like, dancing on TV and stuff. And there's so many, uh, like, numbers that he did before that it feels like they, like, intentionally pulled from for his role in Barbie, which is really kind of funny. Like, it almost, like, pays tribute to his roots which is really cool yeah. uh and he is just such an interesting and like well-versed individual anyway to answer your question i don't know that there's anybody else i feel that way about except for kind of timothy chalamet but in like a much different way because he hasn't been around for nearly as long but i do feel like doing a character like he has both dune and uh wonka dune 2 and wonka coming out Mm -hmm. Uh, right around the same time. Like uh, who knows though, really really with the delays and everything, but I just like can't get over how different those two characters are. Like watching the trailers for both like Mm -hmm. Paul Atreides is so different, so much more serious than Willy Wonka (laughs) in that trailer. He's like, I'm making chocolate, of course. (laughs) It's so funny to me. And I'm like, I can't believe he was working on these projects. Like in such similar periods of time. Uh, it's it's just kind of funny. So I don't know. That was the only one that came to mind right away. But I don't know. Did you have one, Aubrey? Mm. I'm not. I'm not sure. I can find
2: someone who can appeal in such a widespread way to so many demographics. But like in terms of genres of actors, I was thinking of Saoirse Ronan mm. because I was introduced to her in like The Lovely Bones, which is. Oh was quite, yeah. quite dark. And then the next thing I saw of hers was um Ladybird. And mm-hmm. so it was very, very different. but again, like you said, she hasn't been around for as long.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Well, she hasn't had such a level of fame for as long as Ryan Gosling has.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And I do have to admit that when it was first announced that Ryan Gosling was going to be playing Ken, I was a little bit of a hater, and I went. I don't think he
1: can pull it off. It it really, it, he the energy. He is good. I it's never Ken- doubted him. Ken- I know. was like, perfect choice.
3: Yeah. <laughs> Odyssey, everything.
1: <laughs> oh my gosh! I just thought about. I was just talking about this a couple days ago, but um, Brian Cranston and Bob Odenkirk oh, have yeah. only really done comedy roles before Breaking Bad, especially Bob Odenkirk. Like, it, he's yeah. kind of crazy in terms of like how much of a founder of sketch comedy he was. And then to like yeah. Saul Goodman.
0: <laughs> Just like, Although to be fair though, Saul Goodman is a lot funnier of a character. at least in breaking bad. He's yeah, kind of like still a comic character.
1: That's true. In better call Saul, you know, he's got a lot of depth and he's yeah. a lot of anxiety that he portrays, but Brian Cranston, like watching scenes from Malcolm in the middle and then scenes from breaking bad. It's like, Oh my God, what a yeah. range this guy has. Yeah. <laughs>
0: i gotcha my uh i after thinking about this, as far as like widespread just appeal i would have to say brad pitt i think is also These kind of
1: in my there. mind too
0: i think throughout his career yeah i just i'm trying to think of like specifically people that the ladies like and the boys <laughs> like using those two words specifically that's and I so think funny. I think that fits for both Ryan Gosling and
1: He's Brad and
0: Pitt. Voice.
1: I do agree that that really works for Brad Pitt,
0: which I think is funny. I, I'm realizing I'm appreciating uh, Brad Pitt a lot lately too. He salvaged <laughs> Bullet Train for me, kind of.
1: Yeah. Okay. So that's we kind of talked about yeah.
0: that when we when we talked. Yeah.
1: Broad so. Pitt popped into my head too as an answer to this question, and then for some reason I was kind of like, I don't know that this counts as an answer because I feel like he plays such a similar character in everything that I've seen him in, and I specifically thought about Inglorious Bastards and Bullet Train. Feels like mm. in both of those he's kind of a killer who like rem- like keeps this calm, cool, and collected attitude, you know, and just mm. sort of. He's kind of passive, despite murdering.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I gotcha.
1: But I do think that, like, in the part of the question that's like, who appeals to, you know, two different genders very widely, yeah. Brad Pitt definitely does. I kind yeah. of think that George Clooney does too.
0: That's mm-hmm. also kind of came yeah. to mind, but
1: Men I'm have not, a respect for George Clooney. Yeah,
0: well, I'm not a George Clooney hater. I don't have as much uh, hype for him as I do Brad Pitt.
1: Every time I watch Oh Brother Where Art Thou, yeah. oh God, I love George Clooney. Because
0: yeah. <laughs> so I think, I think for me, there's a difference between Cohen brothers, George Clooney, and like mm-hmm. stuff that he's done recently. Like I don't feel like he hasn't. I haven't really seen him around in anything that like groundbreaking recently. Um, yeah, I don't feel like. Whereas Brad Pitt, who is kind, of, they they both kind of were around. At the height of their careers at the same time, but Brad Pitt is like still managed to just like show up in random stuff and put in crazy good performances just here and there, kind of randomly. That I think oh, is, really? elevates him for me. But I also George Clooney kind of came to mind, what which about I guess Mark isn't isn't Mark Wahlberg. <laughs> Mark Wahlberg? No,
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> he's weird.
1: No, I, know. I, I think it. that that works in his favor. Weirdos. I feel like he's done a variety of stuff for people. like Also Matt Damon.
0: <laughs> Matt Damon isn't interesting. I don't know how much of a heartthrob he is though. I've never really, I guess when he was real young, maybe he had. Yeah. That. yeah. But at yeah, least I, I don't he know hasn't if I've necessarily.
1: Like, isn't been all that like crushable in modern times.
0: Yeah. Ever since he grew up.
1: Yeah. Now he's old. Ew. Okay. I feel good about his answers.
0: Tada! Uh, I had a point about uh, Timothy Chalamet that I'm not convinced from the Willy Wonka trailer. What do you mean? A couple me, of things. A couple of things he did in that trailer felt a little corny. I'm not. I'm not fully oh, yeah. bought into that performance yet. No,
1: I, I agree. I'm kind of worried about that movie. I don't know. That it's gonna be that good. <laughs> yeah, but I really like. Timothee I feel
0: Chalamet. like I could play a better Willy Wonka than Timothy Chalamet. <laughs> <laughs>
1: He's a great Paul Atreides, though. So That's I,
2: true. I think he'll be fine. I mean, he'll be fine career wise, even if Willy Wonka is not good. But yeah. Yeah, watching that trailer.
3: Is, is, I know.
2: I'm not yeah.
0: totally sold on it based on the trailer. Yeah. Yeah. That was my uh, mailbag question of my own because I saw an interview on YouTube when I was just browsing today of Ryan Gosling from like 2011. And I was like, man, this is the same guy.
1: <laughs> He's so funny. He I looks
0: honestly him. kind of the same, too. He yeah, has not he like, like, aged at all. Very much at all. Which is crazy. Uh, so, this is, yeah. Do you want to introduce it, uh, Aubrey? Because it was your selection for this month's book club.
2: I sure do. So, we read I Who Have Never Known Men by Jacqueline Hartman. She was born July 5th, 1929, and fled to Morocco with her family when the Nazis invaded Belgium, and they eventually returned, but not until much later. She was originally training to be a doctor, but stopped due to complications from tuberculosis. She published her first work in 1958. This specific book was published in 1995. It was translated in English to English in 1997, but the version I read is from 2018. And it basically follows 39 women and one girl held in a bunker by male guards who never speak to them. And then one day an alarm sounds, the prisoners, the women escape, and they end up on an immense plane, basically. and. It's narrated from the perspective of the youngest woman, the girl. And it basically goes through her escape a little bit before her escape up into her death. And that's that's that.
1: I just recently learned how common tuberculosis was like back in the day. But one of the reasons that Oppenheimer wanted to do the Trinity test in New Mexico uh, was because he had tuberculosis at the time. And it it was like rumored that the dry mountain air air, yeah, could cure
0: your tuberculosis. Anyway. I remember that very vividly from my elementary school days.
2: That's what I was just about to say. Okay, I'm glad someone else has this memory. (laughs)
0: That's the the only reason anyone ever came to Colorado is because they had tuberculosis.
2: (laughs) I did
1: not know. And they
2: had like screened in porches and everything. About it multiple times. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Anyways, I was surprised because I was reading up at the end of the book, it had the little author biography. uh, So I just read it earlier today where it said that, you know, she was, this was like late in her life, I guess. She was around, you know, however old our narrator is when she dies, when she writes this book. And for mm. some reason that added a lot into how I thought about it. Um, Cause I think just the way that it's told, I don't know if this is getting too far ahead of things, but uh, <laughs> the way that it's told is kind of like looking back at a life. Right. Um, and I thought that that was, it was very specific that the author was kind of like, this is how the character at the time of like writing this account that the book covers is the age that I'm at right now. So mm-hmm. that felt uh, intentional. Hmm. But uh, what an uh, interesting read. It was a short a short but sweet one.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: And uh, I got a lot out of it. Me
1: too.
0: Addie, let's hear your account of, of your experience reading this book.
1: <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> Okay, so I have to confess to the audience that I only read roughly 95% of this book. I had 10 pages left and uh, I was reading it in the bath earlier today. And then I left both my book and my phone on the edge of my bathtub, which is a habit that I have and do all the time. But now I live with a cat and I walked away from the bathroom and I started doing my laundry. And then I said, I should go check my phone. And then I looked all over my house for my book and my phone and I couldn't find them anywhere. And then I noticed them at the bottom of my full bathtub. and I grabbed my phone and luckily my phone still works. So that's kind of nice to know that like it can, it can be underwater and that seems to be fine for it. But my book was absolutely destroyed, unreadable. So I don't know how this book ends. (laughs) I got pretty close that's what happened to me today so I need to be debriefed on like the last 10 pages but we can do that later Hmm. I texted Evan and Aubrey and was like I don't know how it ends and Evan said the men show up (laughs) let me just say there's absolutely no way that that happens one of my like initial thoughts though having finished most of it is that I'm kind of surprised at like the choice of the title being I have never known men um because she's never known like anything. Like it's really yeah. not just men. It's kind of I really expected this book to have a much bigger focus on gender and gender roles because of that title than it ended up having. It, and like it really wasn't about that. I I don't know that it had that much of like a feminist agenda.
0: I gotcha. Well, you see, you wouldn't know this. Yeah, Because that's you did true. not read the end of the book. But the last line of the book, It is strange that I am dying from a diseased womb, I who have never had periods, and who have never known men.
1: Oh, interesting. Um,
0: and apparently the original title in French was something slightly different. Okay. Uh, I don't remember exactly what it was. It was something, some three-word something.
2: Uh, This uh, is no, this is interesting because I I also ran into this fact. And the original title in French is closer to I Who Have Never Known Men, but when it was first translated into English, it uh, went by the title The Mistress of Silence.
0: Okay, yeah, that's and then it was
2: re-released later into I Who Have Never Known Men by a different translator.
0: I gotcha. Okay.
2: Very interesting.
0: Fun fact. There you have it. Yeah. Thanks for the clarification. Uh, So I guess what were your guys' overall thoughts on this one before we stray too far off course here?
1: I really liked it. Uh, I thought it was great. I thought it was really thought-provoking. And um, I think the thing that I liked the most was that the author... Did such a good job of somehow getting into the headspace of somebody in this absolutely bizarre position. Like, every time, like, you're reading, like, first person from this girl's perspective who has grown up in a bunker for her entire life and doesn't know anything besides the bunker. And she did such a good job of explaining things in, like, the way that you would if you didn't really know words for stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, She was so self-aware too. She was the main character. The narrator was so good at uh, explaining her own emotions, even with her like very narrow perspective and limited understanding. And it never felt to me like it was never a matter of like, oh, she wouldn't really know that. Like It felt very genuine, the things that she did and didn't know in the bunker. So I was really Mm -hmm. impressed with the author's ability to do that because I'm sure she didn't grow up in a bunker. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know how she tapped into that mindset as well as she did, but it was cool. It was really cool to read.
2: Yeah, I think I would just say that it was unbelievably eerie. Mm -hmm. I think only a specific few books have really done for me before because it wasn't outright scary. It was just so bizarre and Mm -hmm. deeply, deeply unsettling. Mm -hmm. and there was never a resolution like it was just it was kind of like being like in a vice and getting squished basically especially as they're traveling farther and farther out you keep waiting for something to happen you keep waiting to make some other type of contact and it just never lets up with that pressure yeah never get that resolution and you never get a clear ending either it just it just kind of abruptly stops. Mm-hmm. A, I was tense like
1: a lot of the time. I think it's so great that it's so short. Um because it just sort of allows you to like stay in that like kind of scary tension the whole time. It, and like you never know what's coming next. Like it just keeps you in the state of serious confusion the whole time. But like when they first escape from the bunker, I was like, why are none of you running (laughs) to get as far away from here as possible? Like I was very scared that the guards were going to return because before they even escape, you know, that she is dying alone, you know, and that she's not made it out of this strange position that she's in. So I was like, oh my God, like they're coming back, you know, and then they're all going to get separated and she's going to die in the bunker. Like it just, it did such a good job of keeping you in suspense for sure. Like a very tense suspension. I'm also scared of like dead bodies <laughs> so <laughs> reading all the descriptions of like the dead people in the bunkers got to me every single time. Mm.
0: I think that the kind of regarding that, the most interesting point for me is that there's no animals mm, and that might yeah. sound weird, but that's something that was always in the back of my mind because there's a lot of media dealing with like survival uh-huh. or whatever, and kind of making it on your own. Uh-huh. Um that like kind of may not center around it, but like, that's a very important consideration of like the wilderness, the great outdoors. Yeah.
3: Um,
0: And so I think this one kind of uh, did something very different to that. And that, that wasn't really a consideration because there's like a lot of the things that you'd worry about Mm -hmm. in a normal, like survival story are already accounted for like inexplicably. There's Mm -hmm. just electricity everywhere, and all the food is just preserved in these. And there's never
1: winter. Like, they never had to worry about staying warm and getting out of the elves. Like, the lack of seasons was really odd to me as well. Uh, Yeah. I really like the idea that maybe they're not on Earth and (laughs) none of them can really tell. That is so interesting.
0: Uh, Yeah. I mean, it feels like a little bit like, uh, in some ways like nuclear nuclear fallout to me yeah. but at the same time it's like if they left the bunker so soon after whatever event happened then there would be repercussions that there kind of doesn't seem to be mm-hmm. um but no i mean just kind of going back it's like the uh that's kind of what was like the most different to me and like felt kind of just always slightly off cuz it seems like oh she would have to worry about these other like survival things that she never had to because whatever the setup the causes of the setup of the story may be like it that's not the result of it, it it's just kind of So then by that, it got to focus more on like kind of the, the philosophical elements of like,
1: I was just going to say that too. How to
0: think about life when there's not really an objective there and like nothing to like strive for, which I kind of felt hit the hardest to me as far as like the theming and uh, ideas that this book brought up.
1: I felt the same way, like about three quarters of the way through, maybe I was kind of annoyed. I was sort of like, there's just, we're just not going to get any answers about what this place is and what's going on here. And I was like, and I, I really wish that we would, but then as I started, as I was reading more and more again and getting closer to the end, I was really actually glad that it was left so vague and so mysterious so that it could really just focus on the philosophical part. Like it really just, the goal of it is to get to like this question of like, what is a woman who grows up like only among women and not in the world? (laughs) Yeah. and has no future and has no prospects like what does that mean who do you become in the book I'm, I'm really glad that it chose to focus like pretty much only on that and didn't try to answer these like bizarre questions that were set up because of the world that it's in and stuff so I liked that everything was left pretty intentionally vague
2: yes and it was so carefully crafted like you were saying Adi like, it never occurs to the narrator that it's odd that they don't have seasons. Like, if that happened to me, I would be, I'd be a little freaked out. But for her, she yeah. just kind of casually mentions in this, I think the phrase she uses is seasonless land or something like that. Mm-hmm. And it just, it it captures that experience of not having a foundation on which to base your own experience right because she's never known the world outside she's only heard it through accounts of other people and so she just accepts these things that would have me you know freaking out in in a moment of existential dread and it's still so compelling and so easy to read like it doesn't feel artificial it still feels like someone's telling me the story and I thought that was particularly
1: impressive. I totally agree. I actually also like kind of along the same vein I really liked this notion this like starting the story like roughly 12 years after all of these events began and the idea that the women were like drugged at the beginning and so didn't remember like being taken And I kind of like that the story doesn't focus on like their grief or like a struggle to get back to people that they knew or, Mm. you know, like life before. And it's just kind of like, at this point, they've all accepted that this is what's going on. And I think that that like allows the philosophical questions to be
0: more explored. Yeah, no, I think it's interesting because the book kind of, it's very clear from the beginning, what is preoccupied with or like what it's, focusing on Mm -hmm. um and i think it kind of doubles down on that a little bit in some ways by kind of bringing up points that you would normally focus on in a story such as this and then just kind of saying like yeah but that's not what we're focused on here that's not what it's about
1: (laughs) that's not the topic here today (laughs) yeah
0: so you kind of really get down to these ideas of like what is life about what's yeah point of striving. And I think that's what I latched onto the most with this is like, you know, why do we have the kind of like drives and, um, like reasons for living and moving forward. Um, and in the absence of that and like the kind of maybe like the prerequisites for that is like, where do you turn? What do you, uh, do, Mm-hmm. And so I thought it was kind of cool to kind of read and see, you know, in some ways it was interesting because you're reading it thinking like, oh, you know, maybe this isn't as like a, a big deal, <laughs> I guess, as, as it is in my life. But why is that? And certain things that you put like importance on, it's like kind of examining like the reasons for that, I guess.
3: Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: and I found that to be the most interesting like thought, mm-hmm. uh, food that I got from it.
1: Because
0: <laughs> I think it really does focus on that.
1: Yeah, a lot of what I what stood out to me the most, and a lot of like the lines that I highlighted, which doesn't matter at all now because my book was in a bathtub. <laughs> so who knows? <laughs> 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 but a lot of the things that I highlighted were about learning and remembering, just for the sake of doing those two things. Like there was one line at the very beginning. Where she's sort of like, is that act? She's talking about the act of writing this book. And she's like, I think that the act of remembering is more important than like the content of the memory. System. I
0: underlined that one too. I
1: yeah. loved that. I was like, oh my God, that's so interesting and so true. Like, there's something about that that is just so true. When you get far enough away from a memory or an event, it it truly does not matter if it's pleasant or unpleasant to remember. It's just sort of this like act of bringing it back up and sort of examining it and like having something
3: yeah, kind of possession of it.
1: history yeah, 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 yeah. That's what matters. And that I, that's just so fascinating. I don't know. It just like gave me this whole new perspective on like my present moment. Because it, it's just mm. almost like it doesn't even matter.
0: Your, your <laughs> like, mindfulness? Thought,
1: yeah, yeah, your, my mindfulness. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. It was really interesting to me. And then I also like there was one line at the very end. Uh, when she was talking about how she had read through like the gardening books that the people on the bus had. Mm -hmm. Um, She was like, I gained like a very pointless knowledge, but I liked it nonetheless. And she said that it reminded her of the idea of uh, like adorning yourself with jewels, Uh, like kind of, it's like not very necessary, but it just kind of like feels good. It's like some sort of enhancement to your mind, body, and soul. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> I was like, that's so true. And, and like, I don't know, such an interesting way to think about things. Think about like knowledge.
2: Yeah, I think it brought up some really interesting points about identity too. And how much outside influence and outside foundation do you need to create an identity and to be considered fully human? Mm-hmm. Because one of the reoccurring themes, especially when she's a younger woman, is that she doesn't feel entirely like the others because she has no concept of a world prior. And so Mm. she struggles with feeling what they feel. And then there's one line towards the... It's repeated, I think. It's from the very beginning, when it's an older woman looking back in the the luxury bunker, in the the dream house bunker, shall I say? Anyways, um, Mm -hmm. but it's the line where she's looking back and she's like I learned far too late that I too could feel grief and I was also human
3: Mm.
2: so it's it was this odd exploration of how much outside influence do you need to be truly human and it was the fact that she lacks a name through the entire thing yeah and it's like and the women just don't name her because it seems so despairing and hopeless (laughs) and I wonder how much of your identity and how much uh, essential humanness is tied to your having a name and being oh, called sure. that name.
1: Yeah. I thought it was really interesting that she was able to kill them so easily, like mm. for good, you know, like she's, she's not like a psycho. <laughs> she's not just doing that for fun, but like at the, at the end of the day, she was the only one who was capable of doing that because mm-hmm. she's a little bit detached from her own humanity. Yeah. Yeah, that is like really, really interesting.
0: I underlined another fun quote and it goes, it is impossible to predict what might happen in a world where you don't know the rules.
1: Yes, yeah. I underlined that one too. <laughs> <laughs> but I I have said that line before when taught, like almost verbatim when talking about horror movies and what makes a good horror is like mm. the idea that I, I think the best horror movie is one where you don't know the rules because you don't know how to stay safe when you don't know the rules. That's why so I So not
0: like scream.
1: <laughs> it's not like fucking scream. <laughs> you know the rules to scream. <laughs> yeah. And like my favorite horror movies, they remain the rules, the ways to stay safe and protect yourself uh, are so ambiguous and you never really get answers. And it keeps you in this state of like serious <laughs> intrigue, but also fear. Mm-hmm. that I think the characters in this book also feel. So when I read that line, I was like, exactly. I was, I was like, That's what I've been talking about. <laughs> yeah, and it's especially
2: interesting because it ties into her death as well, that concept that it's not the world that kills her, it's her own body that we're led to believe ultimately. Kill. But do you know about this part, Patty? Did you get to that? I,
1: she mentioned at the beginning that she was dying of cancer in her bill. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah,
2: basically, in the last 10 pages or so, she reminisces about her life in the bunker. And then we we get sort of the beginning of the cancer. It was so, it was oddly ironic that it was a cancer of her reproductive organs that was killing her. And it was kind of like, it was just so bizarre that it wasn't the world, it wasn't nuclear fallout, it was Mm -hmm. her own cells, her own body failing Mm -hmm. her. As a woman who had no use for these parts
0: who's never known (laughs) man that's the quote
2: (laughs) like it's like this self-fulfilling prophecy almost because it's you know she had no use for it and yet it is ultimately it is a part of what made her a woman and it is ultimately what
1: killed her and it's Mm. that is so interesting i think it's somehow connected uh, an idea that is very half baked in my brain right now, but it's like somehow connected to this is I loved at the beginning of the book, when she starts daydreaming about the young guard. Mm. First of all, I found it just hilariously accurate. The way that she (laughs) describes like daydreaming about a romantic connection in order to like feel a sensation of like excitement and she's like, I can never tell myself the same story twice. Cause it, it only works if I catch myself off guard. Yeah. I was like, yeah, you get it. queen. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, that's so real. Um, and the way she described it, I was just like, I, I never would have been able to put it into words, but that is so true. Um, but I love that she calls it the eruption and that thinking that way in having her, her daydreams is ultimately the birth of like. Her identity, like her kind of self-awareness and her inner world, that is the first time ever that she's like,
3: Like I don't need to be
1: validated or paid attention to by any of these other people. I'm perfectly capable of entertaining myself and keeping myself content over here with nothing but my own thoughts. And she can cultivate these feelings with nothing but the power of her mind. Um, And that sort of like catapults her into this whole sense of self and like motivation to live kind of that like ultimately carries her through the rest of the book. And I love that she calls it the eruption because it's so reminiscent of like a big bang type of thing. Like it it is like the Mm. birth of her universe. And it's so funny to me that it is ultimately just like having a crush on a person. And I was like, Oh, that's just so real. And it's, it just like speaks to her femininity so much I think and like that was something to me that was like yeah that is girlhood you know mm, yeah like daydreaming about connection and uh, like e- everything that that sparks for you in your development of your inner world I was like mm. yeah that's what it is to be a girl <laughs> <Or> <laughs> a <woman. laughs> So anyway it's interesting that like the the beginning of her life, the beginning of her like selfhood I guess, is so feminine and then the end of her life also so feminine the Mm -hmm. killing of her by her uterus Mm. yeah
0: yeah there's a a point that i kind of was thinking about a a little bit ago about the uh when she dies is just that the difference between her and like everyone else Mm. and kind of related on how they deal with this sort of stuff she lives a lot longer than anyone else. Yeah. And I mean, that's very, I mean, purposeful obviously, but uh, it, it feel, it makes sense within the story because it's, it's like, everyone is so not busy dealing with like what came before but they have that memory and that kind of idea and that informs everything for them going forward so our main character not having that it makes a lot of sense that it's confusing first of all but also Mm -hmm. that she doesn't have that kind of holding her back Mm -hmm. Um, and so I think through that, you kind of get to really see her development of like curiosity, which the world and mm-hmm. she'll the the text will constantly kind of bring up ideas of like, oh yeah, the other women told me about this. And now I'm experiencing something that I can maybe relate to that. So I thought the kind of the end where she finds that house thing to mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. be like actually super rewarding and and, and feel like a. Payoff, Like a climactic payoff of mm-hmm. what's come before because you start to really kind of see her illustrate these connections that she's making between, oh, yeah, I heard about this and now being able to experience some of it. Uh, and I think that, that kind of like snowballs successfully into the ending where it's like, yeah. No one will probably ever read this, but if they do, then I'll exist to them, and I'll be validated in that way. And I thought that was like very uh, incredibly powerful, and just kind of bringing up the things that that the uh, that uh, we leave behind in the world and their ability to affect uh, future mm-hmm. people. And I think that was wow. that was a big theme that I took too, and I thought was very uh, pertinent and important.
2: Totally, yeah, and I think it's also reflected by the experience of death that she has throughout the novel because initially it's it's as if it's like death is something that's being experienced by the people around you, right? Like as much as it happens to you, the loss is also felt by the people around you. But if you're all alone in a barren world and you die, like how much of you is is left? And if there's no one to feel that loss, is it is it still painful does it still hurt for something somewhere or do you just stop and I thought that was that was interesting it is
1: I liked to um, her like the way she thinks it's so important to respect the dead and the the ways that she does that by just sort of like viewing them like every Mm -hmm. bunker that she goes into she just sort of like looks at the skeletons and thinks about their final moments and who they might have been and stuff and like this art of telling herself a story about them and sort of speculating about how they might've behaved when they were alive feels very, like a very respectful thing for her to do. Like she feels like she's doing them a service by doing that. And I, I don't know. I just think that's really cool. (laughs) And she wants people to do that about her, you know?
2: Yeah. That that process where she was just visiting bunker after bunker is arguably one of like the most horrific things I've read in a while. Yeah. And it's it's not just outright horror, but it's kind of that deep understanding that she truly is completely alone. Right. And that there was an immense amount of suffering that went on with presumably no one around to witness it.
1: Yeah. And, it's and such that bizarre yeah. stroke of like luck kind mm-hmm. of that she's alive at all. But also, like, is it lucky to be the only <laughs> person left on Earth? I don't know, or on whatever planet they're on, <laughs> <laughs> left on planet, planet unnamed, yeah, planet unknown. Yeah, it was really, really a fascinating read. It's crazy how much it gives you to think about in only like less than two hundred pages.
2: The what? Okay, the whole thing with the men and their masks and their books and their bus yeah that was it was such a it was it was so bizarre
1: yeah that was very confusing i'm really so curious about why they all just died in their seats like all at once Mm. what the heck happened to them
0: yeah Yeah, it 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 really leaves a lot of questions about just a lot the actual world yeah Yeah. (laughs) which isn't what's important though
1: yeah exactly yeah
2: but it's it's so i don't know poignant that her pretty much her only experience as sort of you know that fully formed person with men is viewing their bodies and Mm -hmm. there's this you know there's this change from when she's a girl and she's viewing them from inside a cage it's almost like they're blank slates to her or something and she Mm -hmm. can't really wrap her head around the idea of of what they are right and you kind of see that again when she views their bodies and you're kind of just there's almost like no emotion there like it's just another thing for her Mm -hmm. true yeah and then the bunker at the end was also just so bizarre so entire- that's
1: is that where she dies? Like I read yes. right up until she enters that like house and she sees the armchairs and stuff
0: and she sits in a chair. Okay. And she learns culture.
3: Yeah,
2: <laughs> she finds pencils and paper she and things to write, <laughs> and she writes down this account, basically. Okay. And then she starts to die of, of cancer. Um, and she I think it ends when she's making a knife and she's talking about how she hopes that, or not even that she hopes, that she wonders if someone might come into this bunker one day and find her dad
1: with a knife in her.
0: And Looking di- and dignified.
1: It, dignified, yeah.
0: Chilling in bed.
1: There's like books down there, right? Yeah, but
2: there are books on like engineering, I think, oh, okay, so. and mathematics. It's not books about, or no, there's a handful of books there's about some, Shakespeare yeah. Shakespeare and some other things. Yeah but there's no account of the world or kind of why it happened or how she ended up there.
1: Okay. I'm trying to think about like the very beginning of the book when she's talking about how she's been like paying more attention to the introduction, the introductions of the books that she's been reading and stuff. And like the idea. I thought that was
0: a super, super interesting way to start the book. I was like,
1: yeah, (laughs) so too. It really kind of frames the whole thing.
0: All right. Who do you think is more knowledgeable? The main character of this book or Jude Fawley?
1: <laughs> this one. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I'm sorry. Jude let me down on so many occasions. But I can't watch our unnamed narrator because, I mean, she, like, What else was she
1: going to do? She read probably
0: a higher percentage of the available literature in the world compared to Jude. (laughs) You got to admit.
1: And all of her thoughts were like pretty original. She was very self-motivated. All of Jude's thoughts were directly from his girlfriend, whose name (laughs) is That's true. That's true. What was that woman's name? Do you remember? Sue. Yes. The real obscure (laughs) (laughs) but yeah this girl the narrator of this book i like loved how self-motivated she was to learn and how interested in just like knowledge for the sake of knowledge she was Hmm. and i also think it's so interesting how she was kind of the only one and it sort of like speaks to i I don't know it just sort of makes you wonder like how much despair can you take and keep your curiosity intact i guess because all of the other women in the bunker were very much unwilling to continue to learn new things uh, and to, like, discuss what was going on and stuff because they were completely heartbroken. Like, it was just too painful for them to go on being disappointed and stuff. And it never got to that point for the main character. She was always Mm -hmm. just, like, willing to face disappointment if it meant learning. And she, at the end, was kind of, like... I've made one new discovery. So like, what's to say I'm not going to make another one. And I really liked that. So true. (laughs) Who knows?
0: Yeah. So yeah, I think it's just kind of like, where's,
1: where's the line, you know?
0: I actually found a super cool connection between this one and like stuff that uh, Murakami writes that I've Mm -hmm. been, interested especially in kind of the the series that I talked about last week of like these books that with centering around the same character where a lot of like what he's writing about is focusing on just like the day to day life of someone and finding like uh the simple joys
1: mm-hmm.
0: um and I think that there's kind of a connection there, there's there's a connection but also a, a little bit of a dissonance between the two kind of ideas. Mm-hmm. Um where i think in reading murakami i find more of an appreciation of just like focusing on the little things of like you know if i make a good ass meal that's a uh, an achievement like something to like take lots of pride in and be like okay well this is you know i'll i'll focus my energy to this and and be able to get through it and there's like a lot that you get out of it. And it's reflected in those stories. Um, and this one it's, it's similar, but different in that you do that same stuff, but I mean, maybe not the same stuff because you don't have the framework to know to do that, to like cook a nice meal or whatever. Mm -hmm. But in like learning these simple things that kind of amount maybe to like that same idea of like this, the simple stuff, but it feels very different because at once it feels way more groundbreaking because it's like this is something that's a crazy thing that I'm able to do in this post-apocalyptic world. Uh, but at the same time, it feels a whole lot more futile because you're like, okay, well, what does that mean? What does it
3: mm-hmm.
0: uh, achieve? Like, so I guess in, in kind of like comparing the two next to each other, I arrive at the idea of that like meaning in life is derived from you know, these interactions between people and having this and and kind of finding like the gaps between that. And you can't find those gaps if there's the absence of the stuff that creates those gaps. So I Mm -hmm. thought those, like those ideas were actually super interesting because it, it it kind of helps you reevaluate stuff in in new light. And, uh, that was super interesting to kind of think about And, and, uh, evaluate some of the stuff that maybe you take for, for granted. So.
1: Yeah. I liked how it came up a couple of times that even after they escaped to the bunker and they were completely without their guards and had the wide open world to do anything that they wanted in, they were still prisoners. And like, I don't know, like a prisoner of loneliness, I guess, like what you're saying, like, it's so uh, oppressive to be lonely <laughs> it's so <laughs> meaningless to not have a connection. Yeah, I really liked it. I'm really glad we read this one, and I'm glad we read a short book club book. It was really nice to like read this with no stress in one day.
0: <laughs> uh, are we good to talk talking about it? I
1: think so. I'm good.
0: Overall thoughts: successful book.
1: Super. <laughs> major success. I would give it like a 4 or 4.5 out of 5.
0: A bajillion out of 5. <laughs> I guess if uh, yeah, I don't know if I feel like rating it. Mm-hmm. I give it a never have known men out of 5.
2: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think I, I'd probably give it a, a, a 5 out of 5. Yeah. Yeah. It was
1: I was great. feeling this one. I was feeling it. It was awesome. I really do want to reread it. And I'm going to because I'm going to order another one. That's yeah. what I highlighted before again.
0: <laughs> I think it's a two out of five for me. Not enough men.
1: Oh, my
3: God.
0: <laughs> Actually, yeah. a real quick point before we move on. Um, it was in uh, this book that I have has an afterword by this lady, Sophie McIntosh. Who I've never heard of, but her afterword was good. But she talked about how kind of like what you were saying, I think Addie, uh the uh it weird that it's named that because it's not really totally dealing with gender explicitly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um how that's kind of interesting because it's just about more like being a person, learning how to be a person. And yeah. the, the the way that it's kind of tied in implicitly but kind of not always addressed as far as like metatextually like writing this book in the 90s you know Mm
3: -hmm.
2: yeah
0: Uh, it was actually like i thought very impressive
2: yeah i wonder if it's i think we've talked about this issue before but i wonder if it's because we're reading a translated version that maybe there's some sort of subtext that it's just going over our heads because we Mm -hmm. aren't like we don't have a a a gendered language and maybe there is something more to it there totally Mm. could be there could be cultural things that we're not picking Mm. up on too Mm. but then the alternative is you would have to learn french and (laughs) (laughs)
0: exactly (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) took the words right out of my mouth cool
1: Great yeah. pick, Aubrey. I really liked this one, and it made for a very good discussion. It did.
0: Yeah.
1: Evan, do you know what we're reading next?
0: I have no idea. I did. I'm kind of curating my list of stuff to bring with me. I bought East of Eden in the Penguin Orange. I'm going to read that at some point in this next. I year. cannot
1: wait to hear your thoughts. Yeah, book ever.
0: But uh, that's the only one that I'm that I know I'm bringing with me. So I'll kind of decide.
1: I think you're going to freaking love that book,
0: dude. I think I will too. Yeah. I got to find it. Cause the last time I went overseas, I bought a big old book in in one Q 84 and just kind of mm. read it over time. Yeah. Uh, and that's the biggest book that I have that I is on the, is on the 2B red shelf right now. So, um, so yeah, I'll look through it and uh, maybe decide okay. at some point, but uh, if
1: you want to do East of Eden as a book club book, I will read it again. I yeah. love it.
0: Okay. It's so important to me. I'll try. Yeah, okay, cool. <laughs> I'll try to find. I'll try to find something that's not as uh, intensive. I guess, okay. which should be fine. But, uh, but uh, I don't have an answer for that. Like right now, we'll see. Gotcha.
1: So funny because I have my next book club pick book picked out already.
0: Is there I something know. cool? Something so cool. Well, if you want to go first, that would be fine. Oh, I'll let you have your turn. <laughs> we can switch. Well, I mean, we would just be like a flip flop in the order. It wouldn't be like skipping my turn. Or That's true. That's true. Okay. Well, let me let me know
1: if you
0: want to do it. Well, that. yeah, we'll discuss it whenever okay. we like record the pod normally again. We can okay. talk about it. I don't know when that'll be, but
3: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, speaking
0: of for next, I mean, next next week, it yeah, it will probably be like in a week and a half, hopefully. Yeah. Earliest. Um, what do you want to do? Like watch a movie, I guess. Yeah, let's watch a movie. (laughs) Maybe it'll be a surprise.
1: All right. Works for
0: me. Yeah. We can decide it whenever we decide when to record the (laughs) podcast, is officially just up in the air completely right now. So I don't want to plan too much ahead because I honestly have no idea what's going to work out or not.
1: So kind of how I roll, dude. I like to not have a plan.
0: Yeah. (laughs) so we'll leave it there for now and uh, we'll return sometime and you'll it'll be a fun surprise whenever the episode drops
1: nice uh,
0: so let's uh, wrap this one up with an album do you have an album to recommend
1: um yeah i think it just came out like today <laughs> maybe mm-hmm. yesterday but the album is called Under Heaven Over Hell by Florence and the Machine. And it's a compilation album that she put together herself. So it's not it's not new music, uh, but I think it's really cool that like Florence Welch of uh, Florence and the Machine, like she's telling you these are the songs from her career that are like the most important to her, that speak the most to like the artist that she wants to be known as. And I just like that. And she put them, she like organized them in this order that like means something to her. So I just think it's really cool. So if you've never, if you've like don't know where to start with Florence and the machine, like she has been around for a long time. She's has a huge discography. So if you're like intimidated by that, you should start with this compilation album because it includes the songs that are the most meaningful to her as the artist, which I just think is really cool. And it sort of creates like this nice, jumping off point and then from there you you kind of know like which albums are going to be more for you so I just think it's a great idea I think mo- more artists should make a compilation album yes. and I also enjoyed listening to it as a person who's been a fan of Florence and the Machine for a long time like it was still a new meaningful experience to hear the same songs in a different order and like compiled in this way from all across her
3: career
0: cool yeah I like I, like- I
1: love her
2: Yeah.
0: Aubrey, okay. what do you got?
2: Um I have a Nina Simone album, actually. But oh, I've been listening oh. a lot to Broadway Blues ballads from 1964, and it's very good. Nice. I mean, everything she everything is from Nina Simone is good, but that one especially
3: is good.
0: Double good. Double good. Cool. <laughs> Uh, my album is Parallel Lines by Blondie. Yeah. yeah. Nice. This is uh-huh. a classic. Probably their best regarded album. It might not be my favorite, but I feel like I've so- sold it short.
3: Mm.
0: You'll love a good black and white color scheme. I got to point that out. <laughs> this album covers yeah. very nice. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, nice. But uh, there's a lot of hits. This is another one. There's just like a lot of hits, and uh, it's just top to bottom, very good. Nice. I'm a big Blondie fan, as uh, longtime listeners will know by now. True. But uh, yeah. If I pick one that's a little bit of an underrated gem, I would say 1159. I think that song doesn't get enough credit. But yeah go check that one out uh cool so yeah that's what we got for this week i don't want to say what's going on in the future because i have no idea <laughs> for all you know this might be the last ever episode of this podcast
3: <laughs> oh my god i hope Goodbye not
0: forever. and i don't think so but <laughs> We'll be back at some point, but I don't know how. I honestly like don't know how regular or consistent or like what we'll even be doing. Um, So we'll just see what the future holds. But uh, taking
1: it day by day.
0: Yeah, we'll be back at some point. Mm -hmm. Uh, but yeah, that was I who have never known men. The book club twenty five, and thanks for listening we'll be back sometime with something, probably a movie and uh, ask us stuff in the post box. If we come back like two months later and there's nothing in the post box, I'm going to be sad. So
3: yeah, for ask real. your questions
0: <laughs> now, get them in and we'll answer them as soon as you're back. Um, and uh, yeah, we'll see you when we see you.
1: Thanks everybody. From,
0: from across the pond.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> for me at least.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, (laughs) Yeah. Have a great week. Do great things. We all believe in you and we'll catch you next time.
1: So true. Good night.
3: Bye now.